dance is not considered a serious job in Slovenia. Okay, you dance, but everybody then asks you, and what else do you do? I mean, what do you do for a living? I am a dance teacher. Yes, yes, but what do you do for a living? No, no, this is what I do. Really? <laughs> Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. This episode is brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, online platform where you can get access to all my teaching materials at once. Hundreds of technique drills, multiple choreographies, themed intensives, full-length courses, everything you can think about. Whether 20 minutes or few hours for practice, you will find a program that will fit not only your schedule, but your mood as well. First seven days are free, so check it out at yanadansclub.com, link in the show notes. Hello, dear dance community. Welcome to a new episode of the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Today we are going to talk a lot about teaching, teaching activities, and even the decision of becoming a teacher. I know many of you are considering starting some teaching activities, but many of you also have already made this decision and became ballet dance teachers, just the same way as many Ukrainian dancers. And before I introduce our today's guest, I also want to share some news with you about some very special event, because as you know, the current devastating situation in Ukraine forced many dancers to close their studio or to pause their classes, cancel festivals that they were working hard to organize and to put the whole life on pause. But that's not how it works. Life never really stops. And uh, all of these dancers, they need to keep supporting themselves, their families, uh, their country, because many of them also trying to gather funds for different fundraisings. But the available opportunities to work are not the same because many of them cannot reopen their studios and uh, although of course the online element is still available for some of them at least to a certain extent but the main activities that was main focus for many Ukrainian dancers is like physical studios uh, teaching students, preparing them for different events, competitions, that's for many of them is not available right now. And some dancers even literally lost their studios. They're physically destroyed with all their belongings. Many dancers had to leave their cities, either to go to another Ukrainian city, more safe, or even to leave the country. And even the online classes inside Ukraine, this is uh, quite a quest uh, these days, because uh, you kind of need to teach and hope that during this hour there will be no air siren alert to go uh, to alert you to go to a bomb shelter. So it's really not that straightforward and easy. And even if for people who left the country and are in more safer places, it's still just imagine you left everything behind you, 
you don't know when you will be able to come back to home you don't know what's gonna happen with your family that most of them part have part of their family still be in ukraine it's not even the matter of just financial uncertainty it's literally the matter of general life uncertainty so all this together creates really an enormous stress emotional physical and financial too that's why i wanted to bring your attention about very amazing event organized in just a few weeks by julia farid most of you definitely do know julia she's an amazing dancer from ukraine based lots of time currently in italy traveling a lot internationally she was on our podcast several times already i have a pleasure also knowing her in person and being a good friend with her and i know that she really put lots of energy and thoughts about in her upcoming project spring will come which basically gathers 15 ukrainian teachers baladins teachers who do need support and she put them all together in amazing weekend of workshops it's gonna be 16 hours of workshops on different topics from 15 guest teachers plus julia farid event will take place on april 30 till may 1st so very very soon it's gonna be via zoom platform you can join live you can um, have later a replay of classes for limited period of time and the importance of this event is not just about supporting ukrainian dancers but also by bringing them hope for better times and you can do both support and bring that hope to them the whole event the entire 16 hours of classes is only 50 dollars that's it it's really an amazing also deal for the opportunity to study and to discover lots of new and believe me there will be a lot of things to study from this amazing group of dancers i'm gonna personally register too i can't wait to get inspired and motivated even for further dance development with such group of teachers and i hope you will join me too with the same you can find more information about event on uh, uh, Julia Farid's social media. You can find either hers, Julia Lower Dash Farid, or you can go to her um, Instagram page of her teaching platform Tips for Hips, or you can visit website tipsforhips.com for as a number. I will put um, I will include direct link in the show notes to this event so you can register and book your spot and i hope to see you if not live via zoom platform on april 30th and may 1st but at least uh, spiritually in front of the same screen while going through these workshops later during the replay period and speaking of teachers i am extremely excited to introduce our today's guest natasha kochar she is a co-founder and head of KUOD Bayani Dance Company, Oriental Dance Teacher and Choreographer. She has a degree in Geography and Sociology from Lubnana's Faculty of Arts. Her dance education started at the age of 12 at one of Slovenia's top dance schools. 
At the beginning of new millennium, Natasha discovered her love for oriental music and dance. She has visited more than 200 workshops with different teachers from Egypt, Europe and America. She is a certified oriental dance teacher and dancer. From 2004 onward, Natasha has been teaching 7 to 9 classes per week and she has around 70 regular students each year. She organizes workshops and events and has passionately produced and co-produced 10 theater dance shows, as well as published her own book on teaching methodology. In this episode, we are going to talk about developing teaching career in general, how it started for Natasha, which steps she took, what she focused on. We also talked about her passion to folklore styles and how she combined them with studying and performing and teaching oriental style. We talked about differences between teaching adults and children, and I had a couple of surprises for myself there in this conversation. And, of course, we talked about Natasha's book, how she came up with the idea, what was the motivation behind it, and what was the process of writing and publishing, including creating her video version of the book. So lots of interesting insights and valuable tips, especially for those who are teachers or considering potentially or even just curious about becoming a teacher in the future, or just curious how it actually goes on. So this episode, this conversation will definitely provide you lots of interesting thoughts to process. On this note, let's dive right into it. Hello, dear Natasha. Welcome to the Baladins Live uh, podcast. Uh, thank you for joining me today and uh, excited to talk about your projects, your books, uh, book and books maybe in the future, <laughs> multiple <laughs> ones. But uh, first of all, welcome to our show. <laughs> uh, thank you, Diriana. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me in this podcast. Uh, I have to say I'm a huge fan of your podcast. And being here as a guest is such a big honor for me. So thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you. Oh, well, very happy to hear it. And thank you for such a kind words. So I would like, well, as our also listener, not only guest, but listener, you probably know how we are going to start this conversation and you might have even thought about it. But um, I'm curious to know in the begin about beginning of your ballet dance journey and specifically, do you remember your very first ballet dance class? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, I remember uh, my first uh, oriental dance or ballet dance class was... Um, uh, 20 years ago or 21 years ago, it was uh, with a teacher who had um, Romani roots. Actually, she was um, Romani Macedonian Slovenian, uh, Romani, Sidonia, uh, Romani Macedonian uh, after her father. And she um, was advertising herself as a Turkish Romani dancer. But actually what she was teaching is like a mixture of everything. Mm, mm -hmm. more or less no it was those times when in slovenia uh, everything was still very at the beginning you know um the evolution of oriental dancing just began so everybody was teaching what they thought is oriental dance or mm -hmm. um, turkish romani or whatever so yeah i remember my first class because uh i w i was so eager to find oriental dance because i was um 
actually I was driven into this uh, by music. Uh, I don't know if you know, probably you know the music of Natasha Atlas. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, this was the music that I was listening a lot and it has an oriental flavor to it. And because before this, I was dancing jazz ballet for a few years in high school. Uh, I felt that this is a music I I would like to dance to. And I was imitating oriental dance. I didn't know how to dance, but I was imitating. And all the friends and relatives knew that, you know. And then my sister, she saw an advertisement for oriental dance course. And she said, oh, Natasha, you have to go. This is, you know, they will start with oriental dance course. And I'm just like, yes, that's it. I'm going, you know. And I went to the first class. Uh, I still remember we did eights with hands. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so beautiful. This is so oriental. This is what I want to do. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I was, you know, I was there from the first hour on. I said, yeah, yeah, I want to do this. I want to dance. And um, we started with two times per week. Mm. Um, and yes. you were at uh, school or at university at that time? Um, I was finishing university at that time. I was um, I was in my uh, last year of university, uh, last years of the university, actually preparing my diploma. And in the time of university, I didn't dance. I was dancing in primary school and in high school, I was dancing jazz ballet for a few years. But then my teacher got pregnant and we got another teacher and didn't like her. <laughs> so I went and then actually I missed dance a lot, but I, I couldn't connect with any kind of dance. Um, but oh, I should mention that at uh, the same time I started Oriental dance, I also started Indian dance. Hmm. I was dancing Indian dance for some years. I was kind of um, driven to both but more to Oriental. And I quit it Indian after many years of dancing. I quit it because I couldn't do both. Uh, mm. It was much, mm. yeah. And what was your degree in university? Oh, I am a teacher of geography and sociology. Mm. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I was also teaching for some time. <laughs> uh, first, I was teaching students with a behavioral disorder. And I couldn't do that. And then I was, uh, and then I still, I still teach adults, um, um, uh, like on a contract. I'm a teacher on a contract for adults. I teach geography and sociology. Mm. Interesting, so, like teaching, yeah. a teaching direction in uh, all spheres of your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you graduated. Basically, it was like last year's university. So you soon graduated university. Uh, at that time, did you already plan to have dance as a part of your profession or it was just like a oh, hobby, just like I am in love, I just want to do it? Or it was already like, I want to live out of this. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't right away. But I tell you something. When I was in high school, uh, I had a friend. We were both dancing jazz ballet and we were crazy about Broadway musicals. And I think we watched uh, for 100 or 200 times uh, the film, the movie, uh, the musical called um, The Course Line with Michael Douglas. I don't know if you saw it. Um, uh, uh, Never mind. It's a a musical where dancers uh, go and audition, you know, on Broadway. 
and Michael Douglas is very strict. You can do it, you cannot do it. And we were dreaming like, we will go to Broadway, we will dance and, you know, no, no, we will be cleaning ladies. And then after the audition is over, they will not find anyone and we will dance on the stage. And the director will say, these two ladies, I want these two in the course line and we'll get it, you know. So this was a high school dream. But then, okay, then this ended and I, I never thought of dance as a way of profession because but my mother told me when I went to university now enough of dance now you need the serious job and I was like okay <laughs> dance is not considered a serious job in Slovenia um, it's considered a hobby it's considered something for fun okay if you dance ballet like in opera like classical ballet okay but you know how many people can do that mm -hmm. very very little people and you have to do it from a very uh, early age everything else is not considered a job okay you dance but everybody then uh, asks you and what else do you do i mean what do you do for a living i am a dance teacher yes yes but what do you do for a living no no this is what i do really <laughs> so this is what i get constantly and no i didn't to get back to your question, yes, um, I was um, uh, at the beginning, I was really impressed with Oriental dance and um, I had a semi part job, not as a teacher, but I was working um, uh, at a company where they were issuing magazines, um, ladies magazines. And then later I was working from for Slovenian Film Found, uh, where they were founding Slovenian films. And I was working as a promoter from Slovenian film for Slovenian films abroad. I went mm. to all around the world, so attending different film festivals. And films still um, are one of my uh, um, uh, one one of the things I love very much. Mm -hmm. And then um, when I was working at Slovenian Film Fund, uh, this was a few years after graduation. It was around 2006 when I um, had my daughter. <laughs> my daughter was born at that time. And there was this point where I would have to decide, do I want to continue working at Slovenian Film Found or is my dance love uh, and passion for dance after five, six years of dancing Oriental dolls so big that I want to try um, uh, and work just in this field? And I said, Okay. After my daughter was born, it was a very hard time. I didn't know that it will be so, so hard having a little baby and um, building a dance career. It was really hard time, but sometimes so, somehow I got through. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I worked. Um, uh, I worked. Uh, I started working as a dance teacher, as a Oriental dance teacher, and. Um, uh, here and there, I did some other work too, some work for my ex-company, like for film producers, or now I'm also um, doing like, um, let's say, not a half, uh, not part-time job, but just like a contract job for a school where I'm teaching geography. But my main, main profession is teaching Oriental dance and mm. um, yeah, yeah, living as an Oriental dance teacher. <laughs> What was the first steps you took uh, when you decided, like, oh, I want to try to build a dance career? Yeah, 
I took many steps. <laughs> I wanted to take everything at the same time. I was over overwhelmed with learning. So for the next six or let's say seven years from the day I decided to start this career, I was attending every possible workshop, every possible um, education um, uh, or let's say every possible um, learning scheme to become an oriental dance teacher. So I think um, I've attended hundreds and hundreds of workshops with many different teachers because I really I really wanted to find um, I wanted to be a professional with a wide range of knowledge and uh, I'm I'm very um, I, I'm like a sort of a nerd or how they say <laughs> I like to read everything about uh, a subject I'm interested in. I like to watch everything there is. I want to know everything there is. So if there was a workshop, I was like, oh, Oriental Dance Workshop? Okay, I'm going, you know. I want to see this and that. So let's say from 56 weekends per year, I was uh, spending 45 at workshops. Mm -hmm. All possible workshops in Slovenia, abroad, Croatia, Austria, our neighboring countries, um, Italy. Also, I went to Egypt a few times, to Turkey. And um, yeah, uh, so the first the first steps were uh, getting a lot of knowledge, a lot of lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of knowledge. And um, also my my main goal or aim was to present oriental dance on a higher level, because usually what happened when I mentioned um, uh, that I am oriental dancer or oh, they say, Ooh, a belly dancer. Mm, so you're dancing for your husband at night. Like, no, I'm an oriental dancer. This is an art, you know, and like, yeah, right, whatever. I think mm -hmm. people didn't understand. So I just wanted to uh, lift the awareness of it. So I organized so many events, like really, Almost every two months there was an event, either a folkloric event or um, a show with my students. I was also um, beginning to collaborate with Slovenian Arabic club. We have um, one big uh, club uh, where Arabs from all over uh, Arabic countries uh, are um, organized. And we became, uh, me and my group called Bayani, we uh, were their main uh, their main uh, group for performances so we were performing and they picked us because they saw that we are dancing folklore as well because mm -hmm. um, I forgot to mention this at the beginning um, I started to dance oriental dance and um, uh, going to workshops mainly folkloric workshops at the beginning uh, so my um, my basic was not a uh, classical raksharki or um, uh, let's say um, or modern raksharki, but really folklores like a lot, a lot, a lot of different folklores. So I was building from there and then to, to raksharki. And um, so, yeah, 
Okay. Uh, well, right away, uh, there's a bunch of questions on my mind right now, but like right away, digging deep into like the last point that you mentioned, uh, what was calling you in uh, specific folklore styles? Because this is not uh, that typical. Like many dancers, they want to dig more deeper into like classical rock sharky, belly dance, fusion, drum solos, uh, and then um, love to folklore typical comes way, way, way after we start our belly dance journey in general. So for you, still sort of in the beginning, more or less, of your dance journey, already been so much in love and based most of your training on folklore stars, where did that come from? Yes, I think, um, first of all, I'm a geographer also. Um, uh, my soul is, I'm a geographer by soul also, not just a geography teacher. So. I was all, always interested in different culture, uh, I, uh, cultures. I was I I, uh, I loved traveling, and everywhere I went, I always wanted to see local dances. Always, um, I was um, I don't know. I was really attracted to the folklores, to this jewelry, to this um, uh, um, clothes. You know, uh, everything was so. Um, uh, inspiring for me and also interesting and um, when I started with my Romani teacher also she brought her family sometimes when we had haflas and they came and we were dancing chocek and you know uh, some nine eight seven eight rhythms and it was um, I, I felt I don't know um, how to say like the this is the real thing <laughs> I don't mm. know how to express even and then um, maybe it's also because it just happened that uh, we um, there were many folkloric uh, workshops around here. Uh, my friend from Zagreb, uh, she organized uh, some folklore workshops with um, um, uh, Helene Eriksson. I don't know if you know her. She's um, she spe specialized in um, folklores from Arabic and Central Asian uh, territories. I think she was, um, she learned everything from, she learned a lot from Aisha Ali. So she had Aisha's Ali uh, technique. So she uh, taught us Ouled Nile from Algeria. I loved Ouled Nile, really like this. Wow, the music, huh? everything. Um, also their clothes, the jewelry. Then Tunisian dance and then um, Tunisian jar dance and Khalij. And uh, then, of course, we were um, doing Hawazi a lot, like from Benet Mezin. And that is where my love towards Benet Mezin came also. I, I'm working every time I go to Egypt, I work with Kairia. It's one of my favorite, my favorite Egyptian dancer, Haïla <laughs> Mezin, Benet Mezin. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I also, even in Raksharki, and even in Oriental dance, I feel more connected to more rooted dance, not so much to classical raksharki in um, uh, Western Western style, like in American style or Russian style, but more in um, this Egyptian, let's say, uh, okay, also Egyptian style, of course, if we see uh, raksharki from golden era, a lot of things are elevated and more um, uh, airy, but I'm more into, let's say, Fifi Abdu uh -huh. <laughs> style, more, yeah, grounded and more um, heavy. I'm also that kind of person. I'm more grounded. I'm more, um, yeah, 
folkloric or how can I say mm-hmm. <laughs> like this. Mm. Um, and also very early I started, I, I tried so many different um, branches of oriental dance. I was also studying with um, students of Suraya Hilal. Um, so uh, very grounded Raksharki uh, and Shabi and the Belladies. So um, I was really researching um, what 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 would be my main you know what would be I, I was trying to get a teacher that would fascinate me so much that I would only follow this teacher yeah. and it wasn't until 2012 2013 when I met Maria Aya from Greece she was also uh, one of the guests of your podcast mm-hmm. and when I saw Maria I said yes Yes, this is it. This is how I want to dance. This is this will be my style. And since then, since I met her, my friend invited her here to Slovenia a few times, and then I started follow following Maria Aya and her style. And she became my teacher, my mentor, my friend. Mm-hmm. I went many times to Greece, and yeah, it's just it's a style I found then, and then I stopped <laughs> searching for a mm-hmm. teacher, and yeah. I worked with Maria a lot and then with um, another teacher who also influenced me a lot was Nisma from Spain, who, who was also Mahmoud Srida, uh, uh, main de- one of the main dancers. Mm-hmm. And she also comes from folklore and Maria also comes from the folklore. So it's interesting that <laughs> I was right. yeah, connected to these two, these two teachers. Ah, that's interesting. We already start talking about uh, teachers and continuous teachers because you're talking about teachers whom you found or way already like into your ballet dance, like the, let's say journey, you never stop learning. But I'm curious to know about your first teaching experience. So uh, when you decided to like start teaching and this is their uh, like pain point for many dancers, like, okay, I want to start teaching, but I have no idea like where, how, what. So you focused a lot on your learning process than you were trying to build your dance career. But in terms of actual like practical steps, in terms of doing activities, like uh, performing or teaching specifically, teaching activities, how did you start that part? Yeah, um, actually, um, when, I, when I attended um, uh, jazz ballet classes back in my high school, um, those classes were very well structured and I had a very good uh, concept about how dance class should look like. Warming up, technique, a lot of drilling of the combinations and then maybe a choreography, maybe, and then cool down. When I started to uh, <laughs> learn oriental dance with my first teacher, she was Romani and she was very relaxed. There was no warm-up, there was no technique, there was no nothing. It was just follow me and that's it, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was very fun. It was lots of fun. But after a while, I said, okay, I mean, is this all? I I mean, a dance lesson, you know, I know how a dance lesson should look like, you know. I mean, I I also went to some seminars when I was still attending jazz ballet with uh, teachers from outside and I know how the lesson was structured and this was not (laughs) how my oriental dance lesson was structured so i was like hmm there should be something else you know so um uh after i think after a year 
or two, um, my teacher um, asked me to um, uh, to jump in when she couldn't come to the class mm. uh, so that I take the class over. And I was like, oh, really? Oh, I was so super excited. And then, you know, I tried to pull out everything I know from my <laughs> uh, jazz ballet education. And um, uh, I, I did the class and everybody was like, wow, it was really a good class, you know. And I was like, really? Oh, okay. I should consider teaching. <laughs> 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 you know, this is the self-confidence you have when you, when you know little, you think you know a lot. When yes. you know a lot, you think you don't know anything yet. <laughs> so there I was, knowing nothing, but thinking, oh, I, I can be a teacher, you know. Anyway, it was um, like a peak of evolution of Oriental dance in Slovenia. And um, there was a big demand after Oriental dance and Oriental dance classes. So I started teaching in my hometown and in another town for a dance school. And I just, um, I just started um started teaching like I, I did um uh I, I I did my struct I structured my class according to my jazz ballet classes. Mm -hmm. So um like warming up, technique, combinations, choreography, cool down. This is my um my um my holy, holy, uh, holy combination for a dance class, holy structure for the dance class, even, even, even today. But of course, I didn't have a lot of technique by then. I didn't have a lot of knowledge. So uh, I say, I said, I better start educating myself. Otherwise, you know, this won't go anywhere. So slowly, slowly, uh, I visited numerous workshops. My first workshop ever was with Morocco from New York, Rookie. Mm. <laughs> Aunt Rookie. So, and there we had Oriental dance, Raksharki, and we had Raksasaya. I still remember the choreographies. And it was like, wow, so this is what Oriental dance looks like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because there was no, uh, there was no YouTube back then. YouTube started later, I think in two, five, two, six, something like this. And until then, there was no YouTube, so I didn't know uh, how mm -hmm. how it really looks like, you know. And yeah, and then of course when YouTube came and everything, I was like, okay, I have to I have to build this again <laughs> from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But yeah, mm, I I I uh, when I educated myself, I um, started to correct my um, my the structure of my class. And I also saw what I don't like uh, with the teachers that taught me. Hmm. And I tried to um, not to not to act like them in front of my students, you know. So let's say if the teacher was, um, I, I had a lot of experience with different teachers. I'm sure everybody has, but was really like teachers who were, um, who were, um, uh, watching themselves in the mirror all the time and mm. I don't know if they saw us or not but they were into themselves so I said okay I don't want to be this kind of teacher mm -hmm. then there were teachers who made fun of us students and I said okay I don't want to be this kind of teacher this is not good mm. different kinds of teachers so um, I just with some of the knowledge I had from the university 
because I was studying to be a teacher. I had classes right. from pedagogy, andragogy, and uh, didactics. And I knew that there should be a plan what to teach each lesson, what to teach it each month, what to teach each year, how to teach, not too much, not uh, too little. And also a very important thing, being um, empathic and mindful. Mm. <laughs> this is the key. What is the most valuable lesson or tip that you borrowed from your university studies, so like being a teacher, that you brought into dance uh, teaching? Yeah, I think um, the most, the best, the best thing I got from the university was when we did uh, case studies. Case studies. Uh, we had uh, we had some um, theory classes, which are boring, like all theory classes, <laughs> and it's just theory. And then we had uh, case studies. That means uh, we students we had to um, we had to act like we were teachers, and we had to teach our um, fellow colleagues. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, our teacher were was a supervisor, and he said uh, he or she said, "This is good. This is wrong. You should do this like this." And we learned many, uh, many ways of how to engage people to listen to you or how to get their attention, how not to lose their attention. And um, especially we learned different ways and uh, we used different tools to explain one subject. So you have a subject, try to explain it um, from different points of views and also with different tools, didactic tools. So I think this was uh, this was where I got the most because it was um, in the last year of the university. We had the whole year. It was called special didactics, mm. special didactics. So special didactics for sociology, special didactics for geography, and mm. this is where I got the most. Is it the method that you also incorporated in your book, Thousand and One Ballet Oriental Dance Moves? <laughs> yes, yes, actually, yes. Um, I mean, uh, in this book, um, I wanted to uh, incorporate everything I know in how to teach adults. Because uh, teaching Oriental dance, you can teach different groups. You can teach children, adolescents, or you can teach adults. And... Um, I do think, and this is my thesis, that I uh, stand strong behind it, uh, and I can also explain why, uh, is that teaching, uh, teaching adults is different. Why? Um, adults come to our practice, they decided, they are already motivated. Children, they, you don't know, are they motivated or are their parents motivated <laughs> that mm -hmm. they... Or are they, they par their parents want, you know, then children, you know, uh, parents paid for them. Adults, they pay for themselves. So mm -hmm. they want to get the best out of what you offer them. And then also uh, we have to know that children are still young. They are elastic. They can do whatever move they didn't. Even if they were in school, they still have a lot of energy. Adults, they already had 
eight or ten hours of work behind the desk or behind the computer. They had their boss, you know, who was um, who could do pressure on them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they came, they came to your class and they want to relax. They want to have fun. They still want to learn something. And um, so you have to use different methods as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. And what I see that um, what I saw what, or what I saw with the most of the teachers that they are doing it wrong, that they teach um, adults like they are children. And this really bothers me. <laughs> Interesting, because uh, uh, usually like we focus our classes mostly on adults, because that's the main like, you know, audience in most countries, not everywhere, but yeah. in most countries. Yeah. And then I would, I thought you would say like, it's opposite mistake, like you saw a bunch of teachers trying to teach kids as adults. But here you are talking actually opposite. Can you explain a little bit more about yeah. this? Um, I, I don't. I, I never saw um, uh, a, a, a teachers a, a teaching children, so I don't really know how they teach um, uh, belly dance teachers teaching children. So I don't know how they teach them. But I know you uh, with teaching children, there's more or less discipline. You have to work on discipline, right? Then to motivate them, and then using ah, various different tools to get their motivation. Adults, yes. Sometimes I see. Um, teachers um, coming to adults like you should do this and don't do this hello girls please stop talking or I will do some sanctions excuse me you are talking with adults <laughs> so I mean you should you this I know if they are talking uh, if if um, adults are talking inside the class what I usually do is I stop talking and I look at them and we all look at them and they are they become embarrassed and they say yes you were saying we also want to hear oh it's not for us then uh everybody wants to see when uh, wants to hear what i have to say okay then let's listen to me so they they stop they stop talking you know but um or or you know in a kind to to, to say in a kind way just girls please you know let's continue and they're like yeah, yeah yeah okay okay you know but i see that um or I saw, I saw with some of the um, the teachers that they wanted to use this discipline in the class of adults that would be maybe more apo- appropriate for children, you know, because for children say, okay, stop, you know, let's do it, you know, more with children, you have to be, hmm, how to say, um, you have to cut edges, you have to be mm-hmm. very precise. But with adults, I mean, they came to your class, they paid for this class. Okay, of course, talking in the middle of the class, it's not nice towards the teacher. But there's there are so many different ways of saying, you know, because I know that some of the some of the well, I've heard <laughs> from the students who came to me <laughs> from other children, uh, from not children, from other teachers, that the teachers were um, uh, acting crude towards them, no? root in a way like they would be rude towards a, a child although that's also not good to be rude but rude in a sense that oh don't do this you have to do it like this you know like but it's not a way to talk to adult i mean for me 
uh, my personal my personal uh, um, uh, belief is that uh, communication with within adult um, within adult group should be we are all equals. Yes, I am teacher. I am teaching here, but um, this is of course uh, because I mostly teach beginners and lower intermediate teachers, uh, lower intermediate students, and I also teach people who want to become teachers mm-hmm. for beginners. I don't teach uh, choreographies for competition and I don't teach um, uh, professionals who want to compete or win the first prize. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe there are some other techniques that they use there for teaching. But for me, I am a kind of a teacher that... Um, I do um, stand behind the soft teaching, not the hard teaching, like making fun of people who are dancing. Like uh, once I had a teacher, very well-known teacher here, and this teacher was teaching us Melaya Lef and showing the steps. And then she backed off to the end of the room and she said, now you go one by one. And we went. And she was laughing, laughing so much at us um, and trying. To, and she, then she did like, like 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 we did, you know, showing showing how, how wrong we are and what we are doing. I was like, this is unacceptable. How can one internationally recognized teacher do things like this? This is totally unacceptable. So this is what I had in mind that, mm-hmm. you know. Sometimes uh, when teaching children, okay, you have to use a little bit more strict rules, but you have to be fair, right? But with teaching adults, yes, we can be strict, we can be, but in a softer way, they came after 10 hours of working or eight hours of working, they want to chill. If you are teaching a recreation group, okay, if you are teaching a professional group, if they are your employees, or that's, of course, a different story. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, but I'm t- I'm I'm talking um, about uh, the things or the method I was writing about in my book. So, being um, uh, mindful, uh, being aware, uh, being um, uh, being professional, professional, and yes, of course you can be strict, no problem, but being fair and uh, um, having empathy, <laughs> empathy for your. Um, students towards your students because you don't know maybe you know they had um, uh, a tough day at work or in their family or you know with the kids at home or with the husband and they just came down to you know de-stress themselves and that's why maybe they cannot follow as you would like them to follow so yeah this is my Hmm. where where the idea of writing a book came of, uh, at the first place? Um, when I was teaching, I'm teaching now for, I have been teaching for, what, um, 18 years now? Yeah, now it's 18. Um, uh, students often asked me, oh, you explained this so good. Why don't you write something? Why don't you write? You have to write a book. And I was like always, yes, yes, I will write a book, of course. <laughs> But then it came um, over and over again. And then when I had an education um, training for one year for uh, girls who want to become Oriental dance teachers, they really inspired me like, yeah, you should write a book. You should 
put this down somewhere so that we have like something, you know, to uh, stick to. And I was like, mm, maybe. So in 2018, in the summer, I decided that I want to write a book. And I said, I will write it. Um, I will write a book in the way as I'm teaching in my classroom. So when I was thinking about a move, how to teach a move, I was transferring myself to my dance studio. Okay, so how do I teach it? How do I describe? What do I use? How can, uh, what do I use if they don't understand? What is my next tip? What they could do? And I started like this. Um, each day I said, I will write one page. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I did it. And I was really, um, I was very dedicated. I really wrote page a day, page a day. And then after I finished, um, I gave the uh, I gave the raw material to some of my um, best students and some of my friends. They read it and I said, just give me a feedback. Is this something or isn't it? Or is it, is it something? Is it really worth reading or is it just, you know, I have to work on it? And they were like, wow, great. Everybody had, you know, of course they gave me some uh, feedback, some constructive constructive feedback as well so I um, changed and added some things but um, uh, but also um, they were happy with the way I set the book so um, uh, then of course I wrote it in Slovenian language but then they said you have to translate it to English it's too small market in Slovenia (laughs) you know who will there are like what Mm -hmm. 20 I will send 20 books 30 books maybe (laughs) I said, okay. Then I translated everything into English. Then, of course, it was um, uh, it had to be proofread because um, uh, I had to. It had to be uh, uh, done. The proofreading has to be done. And um, yeah, then I asked my dear teacher and my dear friend Maria Aya to read the book and if she finds it uh, good enough recommend it and she was of course she read it and she was excited about it and she says yes of course I will write um, uh, something a recommendation so the recommendation her recommendation is at the back of my book and I'm so proud Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah what is the uh, most um, favorite part of uh, the book for you personally that you really like, um, God, that was cool. <laughs> um, I don't know if I have the uh, the most favorite part, but what I liked the what I like about my book is that uh, I um, gave extra tips and hints, and this is something I was missing uh, in other Oriental dance books because there are tons of Oriental dance books and they're great books. I mean, I've read a lot and. They helped me a lot in um, structuring my classes and my teaching. But what I really uh, missed is, you know, okay, I'm teaching figure eight now. They don't get it in this and this way. What can I use? What can I get, you know? And then I have imagination. I have different tools I use, like um, scarves, different scarves, not scarves with uh, coins, not uh, belly dance scarves, but just scarves. 
or let's say I use objects that represent number eight and that they see how it goes and so on and so on. So this is just one. Of, and this is the part I love the most uh, about my book. And I think also this is the part that people like most, uh, uh, these hints and tips and didactic tools. Because I use didactic tools that most people never thought that you can use them like it's small um small pillows uh, pillowcases i use uh, filled with rice and these pillowcases i put this uh, uh, small pillowcases with rice on the sh on students shoulders so that they don't lift shoulders mm -hmm. when they lift their hands so that they feel oh there's something here i you know i should not lift them or we put these pillowcases on our head to feel like we are somewhere in Africa or in Arabic world where women uh, do carry things on their head and we have this stability walk. So, yeah, let's say I, I know that this uh, pillowcases with rice, they uh, ha uh, they uh, gained um, many likes. <laughs> many people wrote like, wow, what a good idea. And I was just like, okay, thank you. Mm. <laughs> What, uh, which movement typically is the most difficult to explain to students so that they actually get it in your experience? Hmm. Yeah, this is a good question. <laughs> um, the most difficult uh, movement to explain, um, I think uh, what crosses my mind immediately uh, is, of course, uh, um, any any soft arm moves it's hard to learn to to teach arms and to have soft arms like really soft arms not to um not to uh, be too uh, stiff in the palms because people usually usually are very stiff in the palms or in the fingers and then i say they have this um hands like they grab something like uh, uh, what what they used in the construction field, you know, uh -huh. when they did this. <laughs> and I'm just like, so this, I think this is one of the hardest thing, the arms, teaching arm movements, arm movements especially. And then the other thing I think is walking shimmy. Mm. Yeah, walking shimmy, it's, um, it's one of the hardest things. Um, I'm struggling with walking shimmy with some of my groups, like for ages and ages. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a thing that you have to practice a lot, and it has to to become a fluent one. Okay, mm -hmm. they get the technique, they can do it a little bit, but not fluently. To do it fluently, I think it's really. I think this was the hardest thing. Mm, interesting. Well, it will be different for, of course, also every student to learn, but I sure. was interested to, from teaching point of view, like for you, which movements you find, like, you know, the trickiest ones to try to explain, like the essence yeah. and the mechanics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since we start talking about uh, struggles and difficulties, uh, I would also ask what was the most uh, difficult part of uh, writing and putting into existence this book? Oh, the most difficult thing was editing. Editing and editing, uh, with editing, I think when um, 
the first part of editing when I had proofreading uh, in Slovenian and then proofreading in English. Hmm. We had to combine, uh, you know, I was on the line with my proofreaders for Slovenia and for Eng- for Slovenia and for English language, and we tried to um, rearrange some sentences that they would sound good. Then the second part, the second part of editing was when uh, I was doing with my graphic designer. I thought it will be a never-ending story. Mm. Every time we edited, every time I printed the whole book, every time I went through, every time there was something wrong. Either there was a word missing or there was um, uh, some some pictures were not at the same place or something. I was really, ah. Oh. I thought I will never, I will never publish this book. When is this going to end? And I said I will never publish a book ever again. This is too much work. <laughs> <laughs> and but then eventually, after one hundred uh, and one, no, after one thousand and one, don't know. But after a few, a few, a few, a few of the printings and editing, printings and editings, then okay. You just say, okay, this is the final one. I don't want to look at it again. I'm not going to have another look. I'm going to send it to the printing, uh, the printing company, and you know, I don't care if there's a mistake. Let it be. Mm. <laughs> Nobody's perfect, you know. So. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the process of publishing book, uh, how difficult is it to arrange? Like, is it, was it self-published or was it with, uh, supported with some publishing house? And if it's a self-published, like, how, I don't know, difficult, like, I never dealt with this kind of process. And uh, uh, I assume it was, like, first experience for you of uh, publishing the book. What, yeah. Which was the most, like, you know, surprising surprise that you was like oh that's how it is um yeah i i i did a lot of research about publishing before i published uh, i'm very lucky that i have a very good friend from slovenia she's a, uh, she's a teacher of slovenian language also a proofreader and she also proofread my book and she knows uh, she also works in a library and she knows how the books are published and everything so she helped me a lot with the process to get the code for the book, to the uh, ISBN code for the book, to get the code, to um, everything, to write to the National uh, Library where they get your code. And then another process was with the Amazon, to publish it on Amazon. To, oh, so much work, Yana, really. It's like, oh, you, you would have to have like a sort of um, um, handout how to <laughs> how to publish but then after you get all these codes and uh, stuff like this when you send it to the print um, company then it's already okay the only thing that surprised me when i sent uh, it to the print company is that uh, i first i said i don't know why i said it because i'm usually i'm not that um, cautious usually i just said I just say, let's do it, you know, everything will be fine. But this time I was cautious. I said, please uh, do a print uh, so that I see how a book looks like if we really know what I'm talking about. And they sent me the a test book, the print, and I was like, 
oh my god this is not how my book is supposed to look like you know mm. uh it's because uh, the colors were not the right and then um uh the um the cover was a bit uh, dis- distracted from the center and um the cover was not polished it was uh, another thing that they put on so i was like it should not be like this you should do this 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 so we did like i think two or three uh prints be- before i said okay now it's good you can do you mm. can do 100 prints now <laughs> mm. so, yeah. mm. and what was that sensation when you received those 100 prints <sighs> ready <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> <sighs> outstanding uh, really i felt very proud and uh relieved at the same time, proud and relieved, and um, and uh, and at the same time, I felt, oh my God, my book uh, seems so thin, you know, and it seems like a booklet, but I spent so much time and so much work on it, you know. <laughs> so mm. I thought it's like I thought, you know, the work uh, behind it looked like uh, it will be the next Tolstoy's book, you know, <laughs> or usually thick. But what it came out is what a really thin book, you know, more like a booklet. But OK, the important thing is the uh, what what it has to say, you know, not how thick it is. So, yeah. <laughs> mm. And uh, for whom you think this book will be the most uh, valuable? Yeah, I think the most valuable it will be for beginner teachers, the teachers or the oriental dancers who are starting to teach, who are starting their professional career. So in, in, inside this book, they will find uh, 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 how to plan, how to plan a lesson, how to plan a, a month, how to plan a year, how to, how to start teaching, how to use different methods of teaching, uh, and uh, how to use different uh, orthodidactic tools. And also, this book is also good for dancers, for dancers who struggle with basics. Maybe they had different teachers, maybe they are not sure if this is a good thing or not. And so for the beginners or for lower intermediates who f- still struggle with the basic, because in my book, I was just writing about the basics, the mm-hmm. basics the basic oriental dance moves uh, or the oriental dance moves, which I consider basic, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody else can um, have another opinion, but these are um, basic moves according to my opinion or according to my teaching, um, uh, teaching, uh, yeah, according to my teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And you also have a video version of this book. Yeah, yeah. I have a video version. I, I call it a video book, although it's just a video. <laughs> and why I did it? Because, as you know, people are, there are different types of learners. Some can learn with reading. Some can learn with uh, watching, at, uh, seeing people and following so that's why, according to different learning types, I wanted to offer something for people who um, uh, who uh, can uh, accept the informations easily when they see it, mm-hmm. when they see. It. So uh, I recorded everything. All the chapters are recorded in the same way as in the book. 
And I call this a video book because with this I want to um, specify that this video is just like the book, uh, but it's a moving book. It's it's in the video version. Mm. So maybe somebody um, who um, who who doesn't like books or who mm-hmm. prefers to see video. But of course, the perfect way is to have both. So you can. Um, match and also you asked me before who is it for it's also for all the rest of the teachers if they want to see if they want to all the rest of the teachers from oriental dance world who maybe just want to see a different perspective you know on teaching i mean uh, also uh, i i also like to buy new books about oriental dance or about oriental dance teaching because Every one of us has different experience with teaching. We use different tools. We use different uh, methods. And it's good to uh, here and then to see something new. And maybe I use something something that somebody else doesn't or somebody else use something that I don't. And you get inspired maybe, you know, for mm-hmm. this is. Mm-hmm. What was more difficult process, writing a book or recording a, a video version of the book? Recording. Recording. Really? <laughs> yes. Record. You know why? Because um, uh, I was I was rec- I had only two recording days because I had to do it in two days, and I was recording from early morning till late evening, and I was so tired. I was so tired, and I I forgot the English expressions for some moves, or I. I in the middle of the explanation, I forgot what to say. So we had to do it again and again and again. And I was so tired. And of course, you have to look good all the time. So you have to uh, care about your makeup all the time, about your hair all the time, about everything else. It was so demanding, really. I, 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 I like to write because when you write, you can, you know, You can write and then you can have a coffee, you can write or you can write the next day or one day you write more, the next day you write less. But when you record, oh my God, it has to be perfect. You know, you have to be perfect. You have to look perfect. (laughs) Mm. So, yeah. It was it was recording for sure. <laughs> ah, interesting. That's so interesting. Like how different people have different experiences. So, where can our listeners find your books, both written and video, and where they can find more about your uh, current activities too? Yeah, uh, they can uh, buy a paperback. So, English paperback is available on Amazon. On all the Amazons, so Amazon.com, Amazon UK, Amazon DE, all over the world, you can buy the book. Also, they also we also have a Kindle version of the book if they have a Kindle reader. Uh, for the video book, they can buy it from my uh, webpage. Uh, they just buy it. It's in the store. I mean, my Facebook, uh, my my uh, in, uh, my webpage is um, uh, organized in a way that it has a shop. So uh, you click to shop and there's a possibility to buy a PDF of the book if you don't have a Kindle maybe and to buy a video version of the book. It's very simple. Uh, So, um, yeah, Uh, if they want to see, I will be happy and (laughs) I will be happy to hear from people who buy my book um, what Mm -hmm. they think about it and yeah, if it helps them and how. 
Well, yeah. that's a definitely a great tool for especially beginning teachers who like, we do remember our experience of learning, but it's different thing than you need now suddenly to explain. So borrowing tools and tips from other like, colleagues and uh, more experienced teachers, it's always a smart thing to do. So this kind of book, uh, both written and video version, it's one of the tools that can help uh, literally someone like to overcome maybe those struggles okay how do i explain that move or that another move <laughs> so definitely um recommend answers to check out and where uh, what about your current activity so where is your dance focus right now uh, since the book is published is another one is already in the plans <laughs> something else <laughs> um <clears throat> right now i am uh, preparing a series of lectures um, I'm starting, um, so in, fe in February, I start um, uh, to lecture in Slovenian language and in, from March on, I will also start with some lectures in English, different subjects, different topics uh, related to Oriental dance, related to um, the culture and related to the teaching. So there will be different subjects every year. Uh, I post about this on my Facebook page and on my Instagram page, uh, and um, it will be uh, live uh, lectures uh, via Zoom, and then with an access uh, also to see it after, because we all know that we are so busy, we hardly schedule ourselves to be somewhere at <laughs> that certain time, so I will have that as well. So this uh, also... Um, I will proceed with my researches uh, in Egypt. I um, love to go to Egypt to research more about the roots of Oriental dance, to get connected more to the basics and especially to the folklores. I especially enjoy uh, Upper Egyptian folklores as well, uh, mostly Upper Egyptian folklores, uh, the um, Benet Mezin style, so working with Kairia Mezin and the... Uh, Raksel Asaya or Raksel Nizawi, as they say. And also, the uh, last few months, I'm obsessed with Tahtip. So. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is, my, this is my current plan. More traveling, more lecturing, and also, uh, yeah, also I will have some classes with finger symbols. I also um, like to teach the basics of finger, with finger symbols, so dancing with finger symbols so. wow sounds like an exciting busy plan for the nearest future <laughs> that's so cool uh, wishing you good luck with all uh, these plans and projects uh, and uh, um, dreams uh, like of uh, that you'd literally transform into goals they all like do feel like goals rather than actual dreams and uh, I will definitely put links to your social media and website in the show notes so all our listeners can connect Act, uh, follow and learn more from you through those links and before I ask our summary question of the podcast I also want to thank you so much for sharing your time and sharing your experience and giving some tips already in this interview even before people can need to go to your books or resources they already learned quite a lot so thank you so much for uh, sharing and being with us today <laughs> Uh, dear Jana, thank you so much again for uh, your invitation, for hosting me here. I'm really honored and happy. And yes, I'm also available uh, to connect with anyone if they have some questions regarding my book or regarding my 
method. I'll be really happy to talk about it. I, um, I'm very much um, um, open to connections and yeah, so thank you. Mm. Thank you very much. <laughs> and to summarize our conversation, I would like to ask our traditional question of the podcast, which is what makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again? So you keep doing it for so many years. Yeah, it's very simple and it's like with the most dancers, it's music, definitely the music. Always, always when I feel down or when I feel, you know, that um, I'm tired, maybe sometimes I'm tired and but I have to do something. I have to I have to prepare a class, I have to prepare something, but I'm, you know, I don't have the right motivation. I just go to YouTube or I choose a CD or something, I put the music on and immediately, immediately I, it, 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 it drifts me away. I drift away, you know, to this imaginary world of Orient, of dance, of, ah, I'm in another world. And, oh, I feel, yes, this is, this is my inspiration. Yes, this is what I'm doing. This, that is why I'm doing this. And this is my, um, my engine. So, and then I just go up and start to dance, you know. And yes, okay, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> That's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.